If you'll look at your Lord's Day bulletin, on the front of it, down on the left-hand bottom of that front page is our church's motto. And that motto, of course, is loved by God, redeemed by Christ, empowered by the Spirit. We have been in a short series of studies related to those three very wonderful phrases. Phrases that the leadership of our church have decided, along with yourselves when we voted upon it, to say much in a little phrase like that. That little phrase, loved by God, and the several messages that we presented could never, of course, be exhausted or covered by a thousand or a million messages preached to you about the inexhaustible, incomprehensible, incomparable love of God. That phrase, redeemed by Christ, for which we only presented a few messages, is something that we'll be singing like Salvation's song forever and ever and ever. We'll be singing our redemption by Christ in eternity and we'll never tire of the phrase because we'll never tire of the reality. We come this morning to that last little phrase in our motto, empowered by the Spirit. And of course, in this Trinitarian motto, when we refer to the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, as the third member of the Godhead, receives often very little emphasis, and probably even to our shame, and especially to mine, what appears to be, in comparison with the other two, little emphasis in my preaching and in our church. But I do want you to know that the Bible has much to say about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. And while we can only, again, in a few messages before we begin our journey through the study of 1 John, which will commence in November, I do want to give you some level of understanding about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a message this morning, more like the helicopter view, and then in the next message or so, more of a view from down on the ground with particulars, this idea of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. And I guess you could call this morning's message and this helicopter view of the ministry of the Holy Spirit a Pauline theology of the Spirit's empowerment. And even though our overall title is Truth for Life, I do want you to see from the writings of Paul how the theology of the Holy Spirit's empowering ministry works out in practicality. And so what we're going to do this morning and the time that we have left in an abbreviated time just before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to give to you this Pauline theology in survey fashion, 
looking at a number of passages that will show you what Paul believed about the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life not only of the individual believer, but also of the corporate entity we call the church, the body of Christ. And to do that, I want you first to look at Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Next week we'll take, as I said, more of an on-the-ground look at the particulars, maybe even looking at the Lord Jesus through the Synoptic Gospels and how He was empowered by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But for this morning, I want you to see especially from the pen of Paul, what he believed about the Spirit's empowering for life and ministry. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through whom? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We might be able to say that Paul begins, at least in his letters, to describe that one of the wonderful initiating ministries of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is to pour, to infuse into the life of that believer the overwhelming love of God. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. You probably would attest, as I do from my testimony, that one of the things that was so striking as I came to Christ as an 18-year-old was that whereas before I knew nothing of the love of God, I knew nothing of His love for me, and certainly I knew nothing of His love through me to others to serve them and to help them and to minister to them. One of the striking realities and contrasts to the way that I lived before was that I knew in an instant and I have an ever-growing and increasing reality of the love of God for me and the love of God through me as I attempt to love others. First, those in the body of Christ, and then, of course, those outside. It is true that one of the wonderful blessings of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of not only you as an individual, but also of our church collectively, is that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad the love of God into our hearts as believers so that for the first time as believers and for the first time collectively as we gather together as the church, the body of Christ, we are able, we're looking out for, we're trying to determine ways in which we can express the love that has been expressed to us. And that's what Paul says here. God's love has been poured into our hearts. And really, that phrase doesn't do justice. God's love has been lavished, infused, overpouring into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I love this phrase, who has been given to us. What a gift. 
What a gift of love. We don't deserve that love. We don't merit that love. And yet in God's infinite love, He takes His own love with which He loved the Son and He gave us the Son as an expression of that love and that not being enough, He takes the Holy Spirit and He reminds us through the third member of the Godhead that this overwhelming, overpowering love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts so that we can both now love God in return and love others as we ought. What a great thing. Look at Romans chapter 8. And I wish we had more time to look at all of these in greater detail, but we don't. Romans chapter 8. This is the Pauline theology of the Spirit's empowerment to live the Christian life. Notice what Paul says. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, that means your life is bent toward the flesh. That's talking about an unbeliever. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, notice the contrast, but those who live according to the Spirit, that's talking about a Christian, someone who is new in Christ, what do they do with their minds? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Or to put it in divine terms, that's what we see on the human side. On the divine side, it's this. God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, causes us to be born again. We're no longer living according to the flesh, but we're living according to the Spirit by the Spirit's work in our lives so that the Spirit sets our minds, not we ourselves, but the Spirit sets our minds upon the things of Himself, the Spirit. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. Spiritual death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, you Roman believers, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You see, Paul is saying in his theology about truth for life is that we are empowered by the Spirit because we now live in the realm of the Spirit, in the kingdom of the Spirit, in the life of the Spirit, in the peace of the Holy Spirit. That's our life now. We've been transformed and it is based upon Christ's redemption via the love of God by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I love that little phrase there. The Spirit is life. If you want to know how you have life at all, not, not physical life, but do you want to know how you have spiritual life? It is based upon the ministry, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who regenerated your heart, caused you to become born again to a living hope 
unto Jesus Christ and the resurrection of His life so that we too one day by that same Spirit will be resurrected from the dead. And it is all because the Spirit, my friends, is life and He grants life to you and to me. That's exactly what He says here in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and the assumption is that it does, He who raised Christ Jesus, that's God, God the Father, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The indwelling, empowering ministry of the Spirit of God just as the Spirit of God, by God the Father, through the Spirit's power, raised Jesus Christ bodily from the dead, He will also give life to your mortal body, my mortal body, so that I can live the Christian life as I ought to live because it is God's will and it is only by God's power that it happens. That's the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what He says. Look over at 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are empowered to live the Christian life even in our mortal bodies, even in our, our physical life that while it is breaking down, we have the confidence that we are going to be renewed even to life eternal, the resurrection of our bodies because the Holy Spirit loves us and pours into us the love of God into our hearts and we also have the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit to even understand the Word of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is what it says, verse 9. As it is written, Paul says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Notice verse 10. These things... The things that he's just been speaking of, God has revealed to us. That's an important word in this context, revealed. God has revealed to us, how? Through the Spirit. Do you see the ministry, the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit? That through the Spirit of God, there are certain things that are revealed to us. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What an amazing statement. Do you know that within even the depths of God the Father, it is the Holy Spirit who comprehends the thoughts of God and the Holy Spirit takes those thoughts, the very thoughts of God the Father, and He reveals them to us. Do you realize that there is not one thought in your mind at all or mine either that we can rightly comprehend about God, about spiritual realities, about heaven, about hell, about anything, about the resurrection, about eternal life, about glory, about sin, about Christ on the cross. There's not one single thing of those and a million more that we could possibly understand except the Spirit of God reveals it to us. That's what the Bible tells us. Aren't you thankful for the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit? Don't you love the fact that God loves you enough? That's what He says, that God loves us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him and those who love Him and 
those in whom he delights, he chooses via his spirit to reveal the things concerning himself. That is love. And that is the Holy Spirit's role. Look at verse 13. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. That's what Paul and the other Bible writers are doing by the Spirit of God, revealing to us from the Spirit the very Word of God, inscripturated here, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And again, notice the contrast, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A natural man cannot understand, understand the things of God because he's natural, and he doesn't understand the things that are spiritually discerned or spiritually appraised. The spiritual person, however, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, which of course for us is the mind of the Spirit. You want to know the empowering ministry of the Spirit? It is to understand the Scriptures. It is to, it is to understand anything about the spiritual life. We would be those natural men and women if we didn't have the Spirit of God coming into our life, showing us spiritual realities so that we would understand what it means to live as a Christian, to do good works, to love others, and to be loved by them. Amazing truth about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look, for instance, also at 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm just taking you through a Pauline understanding of the Holy Spirit and His empowering work. 1 Corinthians 12, regarding spiritual gifts, regarding ministry in the body. This is, this is practically speaking here. Romans 12, 4. Um, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord... And verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he gives the list, not exhaustively, of course, but representatively. And so we learn here in 1 Corinthians 12 that it is the Holy Spirit who affects, empowers all spiritual gifts in everyone. That's what Paul says. So not only does the Spirit of God infuse the love of God into our hearts, not only does the Spirit of God in His powerful raising of Jesus from the dead also raise us from the dead and also work in us through our mortal bodies life and health and peace. The Holy Spirit also, according to Romans 5 and Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 2, helps us to know the Scriptures, revealing to us this inscripturated Word, this powerful Word of God, also works in us, in us so that we can minister in the body. That we can minister 
spiritual giftedness, the ministry of God through the Spirit. You can't minister effectively with what you know and with what God has gifted you to do in the body apart from the Spirit of God. You can't do it. You ever tried? You ever tried to minister to someone and you say, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. This is too much. This is too costly. The commitment is too great. Well, why doesn't somebody else do it? Well, apart from those being murky attitudes, apart from that, part of our problem, and I say our problem, not just yours, but mine as well, part of our problem when we have those kinds of attitudes is because we are forgetting the powerful work, the energizing work, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit for and through all spiritual giftedness in the body. Every time we have one of those statements that I made and we're checking our attitudes and we're confessing before the Lord, we ought also to say something like this, and Spirit of God, empower me for service. Empower me for service. My own puny power has run out. I need your empowerment. And that's what it says, that the Holy Spirit empowers them all in everyone because to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The word common good there is symphony, symphony, for the symphony in the church, for all of the right uses of our spiritual instruments in the music of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit causes us to have breath and power and service as we do so. Even look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Wow. You say, what's significant about that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, just before what I read to you in chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. And that doesn't mean that when Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord and someone turns around and says, I'm not a Christian, but I can mouth those words, Jesus is Lord, what he means to say is this, no one except by the Spirit of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, can believe that Jesus is Lord. And even here, no one who can say, I love God, no one who can say, I have love for the Lord, can have such a love for the Lord except by the power of the Spirit of God. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers you to love the Lord so that you are with the Lord forever. The Holy Spirit empowers you to say, Jesus is Lord. I love that Lord. And mean it in your heart and live it out in your life only because the Spirit of God is in you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know, 2 Corinthians 5.1, that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 
That's a lot of words saying we know that things are breaking down here and we want to go to heaven. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent, in this body, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, eternal life. And then notice this, verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, God the Father, who has given us the Spirit as a what? As a guarantee, a down payment, an engagement ring. That one day, even though we're groaning, even though we're burdened, even though we're in this earthly tent, even though this body is breaking down and we long to go to heaven, we have from the Holy Spirit a guarantee, a down payment, an assurance, a certainty that God will one day bring us our heavenly body. What an empowering ministry that the Holy Spirit has by the Spirit of God to tell us that there is life after this one. There's life after this one. No wonder he says in verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Yeah, we're going to be of good courage because we know this life isn't all there is. We know that we are burdened. We know that we groan in this body. And we long, like Romans 8 says, to have our bodies redeemed. In fact, even the whole of creation longs for the redemption of the body. And we know that it comes by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has been granted to us, given to us, given to us as a down payment. And when God puts that engagement ring on our finger as believers, He will, in fact, consummate it on that day. That's as sure as it can be. Look at 2 Corinthians, the end of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Oh, and I wish we had time to speak a little bit more about these. In chapter 13, verse 14, the final greetings, the benediction, chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the what? Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Is that, is that sweet to your ears? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You want to talk about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit? It's to bring all of us in fellowship with each other because our fellowship is with Him. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. A Him, a person. So our fellowship is with Him, the Holy Spirit. God loves us. That love has been shed abroad in our hearts because the Holy Spirit has been poured out lavishly upon us. And we understand how we can live in this body. We understand how we can know the Scripture. We understand how we can even in our groaning long for the day of redemption. And we know that we have fellowship with one another because the Holy Spirit binds our hearts together in fellowship. Fellowship with each other and in fellowship with Him. What a wonderful way of putting it. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. It's so good for us, I think, at times just to sweep through a a Pauline or a Johannine understanding of something. And Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, 
walk by the Spirit. Walk via the realm of the Spirit. Walk as the Spirit would have you walk. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what, my beloved? Easy statement. Hard to do. Hard to do. One sentence, a lifetime to live out. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why is that? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. That sounds a lot like Romans 8, doesn't it? And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Another reality of the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you see verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You've been delivered from it. And here is what the law worked in you because you couldn't keep it. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Hard to stay away from some of those things. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, stay away from those things, and do these things. I warn you, he says, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will inherit the kingdom of God. So what should we do? Do these things, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, there it is. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and here is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit so that we might live by the Spirit. That's the empowering Spirit's ministry. He causes us to have the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, etc., and to say no to all of those things that we were once characterized by. That's our walking ministry. That's our living ministry. That's our leading ministry. All produced in us for the purpose of the glorifying of Christ, which is the Spirit's will. That's Galatians 5. Look now at Ephesians chapter 4. And boy, if you were able just to, to write down on a piece of paper, if you had one, or listening to this message later on, you would be able to say, I'm gaining in my understanding of what the Spirit of God does in my life or should be doing just by looking at the passages for which the Holy Spirit is being emphasized. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. So if there is one body and there is one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and He's producing in us this one body concept, both by way of its reality that we are one body in Christ and also the practicality of us becoming one, practically speaking, how does that happen? Back up one verse. It is so that we might be eager to maintain the unity 
of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How is it that there is one body and one Spirit? Well, practically speaking, so that you and I are eagerly maintaining, fighting for, urgently attempting to live out this concept of the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. My friends, unity in this body only comes about as a result of the concept theologically that we are one body and that we have one Spirit and it comes out practically as we eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to fight for it because even though redeemed, even though regenerated, the natural inclination of the heart and the sinfulness of the world itself and all of the things for which we are challenged to be a loner, challenged to be individuals, challenged not to minister to others, will fight against us so that we are fighting with one another. The only way we can be unified is through the unity that is brought about by the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to fight against the division, to fight against the the dissection of this body. He works towards showing us His love so that we will not be fractured, but we will rally around His love. How do we do that practically? Look one chapter over, chapter 5. We do it by the church being filled or controlled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.15 Look carefully then how you walk. Notice peripateo, that Greek word for walk, which means step-by-step process. Look carefully then how you step-by-step in the Christian life walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what is the will of the Lord? Here it is, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, or I like to say be controlled, by the Spirit. It's not really the question of how much you have of the Holy Spirit. The real question in the Christian life is how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? You see the difference? That's why I like to say, be controlled by the Spirit. Filling almost looks to somebody like, well, there's a glass and it's one quarter filled or half filled or three quarters filled of the Holy Spirit. No, when the Holy Spirit comes in and He sheds abroad the love of God in your heart, the Holy Spirit comes comes in and makes residence in your life. And the only time that I don't have, quote unquote, a larger portion of the Holy Spirit, even though I don't even like to talk in those categories, is when I am disobedient when I'm quenching the Spirit, when I'm disregarding the manual of the Holy Spirit, what He has written for me to obey. And so Paul's ever-increasing command, his ever-present reality of this command is, be being kept controlled by the Spirit of God. And if you are, what does he say will happen? You'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Ask yourself the question, when's the last time in your singing, whether individually or corporately, you've been singing based upon the controlling, empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit that included your singing with all your heart? That's what he says. Giving thanks always for everything. When's the last time by control of the Holy Spirit you gave thanks for everything? 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When's the last time you said to yourself, I need to submit to my brethren. I need to submit to those who are giving me wise counsel from the Word of God. How about Philippians chapter 2? Verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, how? In the Spirit. There's really any koinonia, any participation, any fellowship in the Spirit. And for Christians, the only participation is in the Spirit. That's where the Spirit resides. That's where the Spirit dwells. And if you're having in the church some kind of problem, some kind of conflict, he's saying if there is any participation in the Spirit, and there should be and there is, if there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And by the way, look at chapter 3. You know what he calls a synonymous definition of what we say when we say we're Christians? Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Those aren't real Christians. Those are outside the faith, non-Christians, pagan people. And notice how he describes true Christians. Verse 3, chapter 3. For we are the real circumcision as over against their false circumcision. Notice this. Who worship how? By the Spirit of God. Do you know that even your worship is by the Spirit of God? Only by the Spirit of God? You say, well, there are clearly times where I have sung and I have been disobedient and I have been so disobedient that I know I'm not singing via the Spirit or in the power of the Spirit. Guess what? Some of the Old Testament prophets also said such things to Israel of old. And you know what? Like in Hosea... Stop your songs, your hearts aren't right. Yeah, we can do it with our lips. We can come Sunday after Sunday, but if your heart isn't right, you're grieving the Spirit. And if you're grieving the Spirit, words are coming out. A a tune is being emitted from your mind, but it isn't worship. You know that what characterizes a Christian is that he worships by the Spirit of God. That's what it says. We worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. What a great synopsis of what it means to be a Christian. I worship by the Spirit of God. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Speaking of Epaphras in verse 7, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and I love this, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You see, if you love, it's because you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You're in the Spirit. The location of your love is in the Spirit. The Spirit, that's the location of it. He even says in chapter 3 
that parallel with Ephesians 5 about singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How can you do that? The love of God. Through the power of Christ. By the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how we can do that. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, that's your election, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's telling you that you didn't come to Christ like the Thessalonians didn't come to Christ unless there was a powerful gospel word attended to by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings full conviction. When I was coming to Christ, I had full conviction that my life was sinful before God, that I was ashamed before Him, that I was spiritually bankrupt, that I had no resources in and of myself. And that only comes when the gospel word is preached to us in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full convictions. And if you want to get an application of this that is, that is marvelous, look at chapter 4. You want to get real practical here? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is also what the Spirit of God does. Chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body or vessel in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, This is talking about sexual immorality within the church because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. And notice how he ends this particular paragraph. Therefore, whoever disregards this, this teaching, this command not to be involved in sexual immorality, to disregard the will of God, he disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know, every time you're tempted for sexual immorality, let alone the doing of it, the Holy Spirit, if you're truly a Christian, if you're worshiping by the Spirit of God, is telling you, raging at you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you have in your conscience the idea, the penetrating idea, I shall not do this, I shall not do this. The Holy Spirit, with full conviction, is commanding me not to do this, run away from this, this is wrong, I know it to be wrong, I'm going to be punished, there are consequences for these things, it is the will of God that I be holy. You can't get more practical than that. Because if you disregard that kind of language from the Spirit of God in your conscience, you've disregarded not man, but God, who gives you the Holy Spirit to tell you right and wrong. That is a clear word from the Holy Spirit. It is His will that we be sexually sanctified. Look at chapter 5, verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't disregard the Spirit. He says, it is God's will, your sexual sanctification, and don't quench the Spirit. One last one. Titus, chapter 3. 
I think this is really helping us to prepare at the Spirit's bidding to receive communion. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration, that's the washing ministry of the Holy Spirit, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that's the new life begun by the Holy Spirit, whom this Holy Spirit He poured out on us richly. Sounds a lot like Romans 5, 5, pouring out on us richly the love of God through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. Oh, what a precious ministry of the Holy Spirit. He regenerates us by the washing of the water of the Word of God. He renews us to live not as the pagans live, but as living new lives in the realm, in the sphere, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God who energizes us and empowers us for service and ministry because we're now new in Christ and we have been justified by His grace so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You have eternal life because the Holy Spirit has given you life. Do you, do you love the Holy Spirit? If you're like I am, that language may sound somewhat strange because we don't often hear it. But if He's the third member of the Godhead, if there is Trinitarian reality to all of these passages, we ought to be saying to ourselves, I love the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit loves me and that He wants me as a renewed vessel to be sexually pure. And He wants me to love others. And He wants me to understand the Word of God. And He wants me to understand the love of God which has been poured out in our hearts. And He wants me to understand that I don't live the life of flesh anymore. I live the life of the Spirit. And if I live like this, I live to the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Let us love this precious Holy Spirit even now. Let's bow together. Father, we live or should for what you live for, for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. And we do so because of Jesus Christ, your only Son, who died in order to redeem us so that through his blood and by his giving of His own life, we might be called Your children. Oh, Father, we know that none of that, Your glory, Your praise, Christ's redemption through His blood is even possible unless the Spirit of God coming to us, the church, the body of Christ, at Pentecost to reside in us and with us so that we might be those within the body in this local setting, the Bible Church of Little Rock, who could say, we love you, Holy Spirit. And we stand with you, Spirit, 
because you, Holy Spirit, stand to glorify Christ who glorifies the Father. May that be our hearts today. And may we thank you for your empowering ministry, Spirit of God. And may we live and move and obey in light of the sphere of you, Spirit of grace. In the name of Jesus and through Him we pray to you, Father. Amen.